covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for being tuned in. It is great to have you with us. Another week's worth of Brewers talk and uh, certainly was an interesting week this past week. A few things happening. Uh, One thing very specifically related to the Brewers that we'll touch on here in just a moment. And then a couple things more from a Major League Baseball standpoint that certainly have an impact on the Brewers that we'll get into here in just a moment. Plus, our featured conversation this week is with a guy who covers the Brewers for the Wisconsin State Journal. Andrew Wagner is going to join us in uh, just a few moments. Housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter. Find me on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And also, if you do listen to this podcast on Apple Podcast and can subscribe and leave a ranking and review, that would be very, very much appreciated as uh, we try to get as many people to be able to find this podcast as possible. All right, um, a few things to get into here before we get to our uh, featured conversation, which is uh, with Andrew Wagner this week. Uh, but want to touch on, first off, a couple things that happened across Major League Baseball this week. Uh, the Brewers, one of the Brewers' uh, rivals in the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, they reportedly acquire Rockies third baseman Nolan Arenado. And sidebar on that, by the way, and I've said this before, but I always feel like I need to explain it when I say Arenado and not Arenado because it is generally pronounced Nolan Arenado. When I was working in minor league baseball, I broadcast a team where he was on the team, and at the beginning of the season, I went up and I asked him, is it Arenado or Arenado? He said, it doesn't matter. And I said to him, well, if I was asking your mother, what would she say? And he, she, he said, well, he, she would say Arenado. So despite the fact that it has been pronounced Nolan Arenado throughout his entire major league career, I could tell you for a fact it is pronounced Nolan Arenado. So that is what I am indeed going to call him. And I'm not mispronouncing it. I'm just pronouncing it different than what everybody else seems to pronounce it. Anyways, I go on. Um, the Rockies send him to St. Louis, and we don't have all the details on what's going back, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be a huge package of prospects. And, oh, yeah, by the way, the Rockies are sending $50 million along with him. So they're going to eat a lot of his contract. Crazy, crazy deal. I feel bad for Rockies fans. I feel horrible for Rockies fans because this is a guy who's arguably the best defensive third baseman in Major League Baseball since Brooks Robinson. You can make that argument. Uh, Good hitter. There are some questions about his splits, the, the the old Coors Field splits. I think he's going to be perfectly fine in St. Louis. And that makes that team a lot better. They also signed, re-signed Adam Wainwright. All indications are that they're going to bring back Yadier Molina. And there's still a lot of time left before the season. But I think right now you look at the division and you see a St. Louis team that would appear to be uh, a step in front of the other teams in baseball. Prior to the move, I would have told you, The Brewers, the Cubs, and the Cardinals, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between any of them. And even the Reds were probably only a half step behind those three teams. And then you had the Pirates, who were way, 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 way far back. This move does a lot for St. Louis. And I'm going to be interested to see whether it's the Brewers, whether it's the Cubs. I don't think it's going to be the Reds. But if one of these teams uh, feels even more pressure to react in some way to what the Cardinals have done. I stand by it. I think the Brewers make some sort of acquisition of significance uh, before the season gets started. 
I don't think it's a long-term deal. I think it's kind of a, a Yasmani Grandal sort of deal uh, where they find a way to, to bring in a guy, whether it's signing him on a one-year deal or a guy who's got one year left on his contract and there's a team looking to shed salary uh, in a trade, whatever it might be, I still think. And maybe I'll be wrong, and we're still going to be doing this podcast. And if we get to opening day and they did not make that move, well, then – we can discuss it, and I will have no problem admitting that I was wrong. Speaking of opening day, when is it going to be? That's an interesting question. On Sunday, it was reported that Major League Baseball had offered to the Players Association a setup where the season would start a month late, the regular season would go one week longer, so you would lose three weeks off the total length of the regular season, starting a month late and only going one week later. Uh, you would go down from 162 to 154 games. So you're playing three weeks less time, but only playing eight less games. And with that, there would be an expanded postseason. There would be full salary for the players, and there would be the universal DH uh, as well. Players are expected to reject this. It's odd to me this is happening now because this feels like the first step in a negotiation, and quite honestly, there's not a lot of time to negotiate here. We're not that far out from the start of spring training. And you know it as well as I do. Players show up to spring training way before it actually starts. Players start trickling in. In fact, this weekend would have been the Brewers on deck weekend. And I can tell you a lot of players leave their homes, go to Milwaukee for Brewers on deck, and then head down to Arizona after that and start working out in Arizona. So players already have their housing and everything all taken care of in their various spring training locations. So if you're going to change the length and the duration and the start of spring training, it's a move that needs to be made like now. And the fact that this is just now happening, it comes on the heels of the Cactus League sending a letter to Major League Baseball and there's uh, some conspiracy theories out there. Maybe not even conspiracy theories. Maybe that's the wrong. There's reporting out there. Let's go with that. There is reporting out there. I think it was The Athletic that reported that Major League Baseball had orchestrated the Cactus League writing that letter. The Cactus League has uh, denied that happened, so that's kind of why it's a conspiracy theory because one side says one thing and another side uh, says another, but they got to get this worked out. Here's the bottom line. The players have yet to accept the expanded playoff. One reason they say no to the expanded playoff is because the barrier to entry to get into the postseason becomes a lot easier with the expanded playoff. And if it is not as challenging for your team to be a postseason club, you might not be as willing to spend money on players to improve your roster because you say, oh, you know what, we can get to the postseason with this roster. We don't need to do more. So that's part of why the players would reject the um, would reject the expanded postseason because it might actually de-incentivize teams to, to do things. The other thing is, okay, so in this in this system they would be paid their full 162 game salary for 154 games, and that's they're not losing money on the deal, and that's fine. Um, but getting paid for 162 when playing 154, I mean that's that's not this great thing to the players. They're not going to go home to their wives and say, guess what? We're playing eight less games this year and I'm keeping full salary. Like that's, that's not something to get excited about if you're a player. 
It's just not. It's yeah. So if if the players are going to do that, if the players are going to agree to it, they got to get something out of it. And getting full salary for 154 games, not being paid for eight games you don't play. I'm sorry, that's that, there's that's not a true incentive. So I think if they they don't have much time to work this through, but if if this is going to happen, if the Major League Baseball season is going to start a month late. And they're going to play 154 games. And they're going to play a bunch of seven-inning doubleheaders, yada, yada, yada. If that's going to happen, to me, the only way that happens is if the owners give a significant amount of money that would come from the expanded playoff back to the players. Because that's the owners want the expanded playoff. There's, there's tens of millions of dollars that go along with the expanded playoff. And the players are not just going to give the owners the expanded playoff for nothing. And getting paid for 162 games when you play only 154, that's nothing. That is nothing. There also seems to be some worry that if COVID-19 is has major issues uh, where you're, you're having a hard time playing games, that Rob Manfred could unilaterally change the season, reduce the season, and at that point you would not be paid for some of those games that were not going to be played. So there's there's some trust issues with Rob Manfred because there's always going to be issues between the Players Association and Major League Baseball. That's just, they're in a really bad spot right now. But there, if, if the owners really want, if Major League Baseball really wants the expanded postseason and they really want to start the season later, they're going to have to give up some extra playoff revenue from that expanded playoff. That's the only way, I think, to be able to uh, to get it done. Now, you push the season back a month. You're hopeful. Every day, people are getting vaccinated in this country. Like, every single person that gets vaccinated, it is a, it is a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage point less of the chances of COVID being spread from one person to another because there's just more and more people that are not going to be able to spread it and more and more people that are not going to be able to get it. So like it's just it's a tiny percentage and we've got a huge path in front of us, but it's it's going to get better every day. The chances for it to be spread will get better every day as the vaccination continues to uh to to uh, get distributed throughout the country very slowly. So baseball wants to start the season late to give them a little bit more runway to being able to have more fans in the stands where they actually are going to make a little bit more money by getting people to walk in. I get that. I understand that. There's nothing wrong with that from an owner perspective. Whether they can actually make it happen or not, that's one thing. But I don't blame owners for saying, you know what, this first month, month, maybe first two months of the season, we're not going to have fans. We're going to have very few fans. It's going to be just like last year. If we just had a little bit more runway. So you want that more runway, I think, you got to give some of that extra playoff revenue back to the players. You're not paying them 162 for 154 isn't going to be enough to make them agree to something like this. It's just, it's just not. And they knew that. They knew that, right? They knew that. There's no way uh, that they that they didn't know that. Uh, last thing, this is more Brewers specific. Really cool news this past week that the Brewers had uh, promoted Sarah Goodrum to their uh, hitting coordinator for the minor leagues. She's been in this role for a while, but it just kind of got announced this past week, and the news cycle of it uh, got picked up this past week. So she becomes the first woman in Major League Baseball for any organization to serve as a uh, as a minor league hitting coordinator. I think it's really cool. Also, this isn't being talked about enough. This is not being talked about enough because clearly 
the headline, right, is that it's a woman doing this job. And I get it. I absolutely get why uh, that is the headline. But almost as significant, she's 27 years old. There's not a whole lot of 27-year-old minor league hitting coordinators walking around. So she's a woman, and she's 27 years old, and she's a minor league hitting coordinator. That is spectacular. And uh, I, she, she spoke with Adam McAlvey at, uh, at MLB.com, and she talked about the thing. One of the things she said was, for players coming up, they don't care if you're a man or a woman when you're coaching them. They just want to hit. They want to get better, and they're willing to take instruction for anybody that can make them better. That's good to hear. It doesn't surprise me. I, I think athletes coming up are a little bit different now than they were before. It probably even started with basketball. You know, NBA players, we've seen, we're going to have a, a female head coach in the NBA sooner than later. And uh, I think NBA players are, are very good with that. Baseball players maybe a, a half step behind, but that's really good to hear that from her. Part of her job, though, is the minor league hitting coordinator. Essentially, the hitting coaches at all the minor league affiliates kind of report to her. If the message is going to stay the same from one minor league team to the next, well, there's kind of that conduit that it all goes through, and and she's that person in a way. And I think that's going to be that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And I don't know if it's ever going to be public knowledge, but you've got. You got some more old school kind of folks that are in uh, those, you know, hitting coach type of jobs. But she says, you know, that, that it's a great bunch of coaches who are working in the minor leagues, and they're very respectful of her, and that's that's great. She's got a good sports pedigree. She played softball at the University of Oregon, which is one of the top softball programs in uh, in all of college softball. She's been working in the organization in the sports science department for about four years. And now she gets this promotion, and it's cool. It's it's very cool and uh, good for her. I hope I haven't requested this yet, so maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I will. I hope that we are going to be able to get her on our uh, Brewers Weekly Show on WTMJ here at some point in the relatively near future. Shameless plug on that, by the way. We did have uh, a new brewer this past week as uh, Daniel Robertson joined us, a guy who's going to certainly be in the mix uh, for the starting third base job with the Brewers, depending on what happens the rest of the offseason. If you didn't catch that interview, uh, where you get this podcast, you can get it from. It's just uh, go down the feed a little bit, and you'll see the conversation with Daniel Robertson and would certainly encourage you to, uh, to listen to that. All right, I have talked long enough. I'm going to talk a little, but I'm also going to hand things over to uh, Andrew Wagner. He uh, covers the Brewers for the Wisconsin State Journal. You can follow him on Twitter at ByAndrewWagner. Always enjoy talking to him. Very happy to uh, welcome him back on to uh, the podcast here uh, once again. Andrew, it's always uh, it's always good to talk to you. How are you? Man, I needed this phone conversation today with you, this interview today, because you know, I don't know if we're like betraying the fourth wall here, but we're recording this on Sunday night, January 31st, which in any normal year would have been Brewers on deck, yeah. which would have been it's the first time since the end of the season that we got to run into each other and catch up. And I'd be making smart Alex faces at you while you're hosting your roundtable with the cool reporters, not including me. And it'd be kind of like, hey, we're resetting the clock now. Spring training's coming. Spring's coming. Baseball's coming. And instead, all we got is, you know, a foot of snow and cold temperatures and no idea what's coming next. So it, it, it's good to, to sit and talk baseball with you today. I'll be honest with you. So I love doing that media roundtable. It's always Hodricourt, Rosiak, McAlvey, and me. 
I always feel like the outlier. You got you got three writers and then like the the token radio guy thrown in there. I'm I'm very honored each year when the Brewers ask me to do it, uh, but I, I do feel like I'm the uh, I'm I'm the uh, the black sheep of the group. Well, that'd be me. I am definitely in that role. So, um, it's all good. Yeah, you know what? Let's start with the on deck not happening because this is always it's such a great event and. I've said this a lot, even since last year. Like, I think one of the reasons that interest was a little bit down for the Brewers this past year, uh, in addition to just everything going on, was with the Brewers. I think more than most major league teams, the the immersive experience, and there's like this connection between players and fans. And when all of a sudden fans can't be in the same building as fans, even if it's just to watch a game, it seems like there's a little bit more of a disconnect. And that starts at on deck when you got all the players walking around and, you know, kids can go play ping pong or, or foosball with them. Like, it's just, it's such a cool experience for fans to get up close to so many members of the Brewers. And it really, for lots of reasons, it stinks that it's not happening. But from a fan perspective, the most, I just feel bad that they're not able to experience it this year. Yeah, you're right. And, and listen, I, I have very minimal, I've never missed the Brewers on deck, mind you. Um, but I have very minimal experience of the event itself because, as you know, most of my day is spent down in the bowels of the Wisconsin Center uh, transcribing interview after interview after interview. But I do, you know, we all try to get out there and walk around for a little bit, and it is really cool to see that interaction. And I know that, like, every team pretty much does that. I think they call it Winter Caravan or whatever. I know that it's nothing unique in baseball, but you're right. There is kind of a unique connection between this market and its fan base. And, you know, normally I kind of, you know, run my, roll my eyes when people talk about things like that. You hear that, you know, the Packers all the time talking about, you know, yeah, 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 okay, I get that. You're on national TV every week, you know, there's a different thing. Um, with the Brewers, there's not that national panache. And, you know, we talk about this all the time in terms of economics, but you look at, at the Brewers market compared to the markets of baseball, and someone has a map Facebook, I spend all the time of like the United States broken down by like baseball regions. And the Brewers are sandwiched in there between, you know, the giant empire that is Cubs Nation, uh, and then to a lesser extent, the White Sox, and then the vast territory uh, of the Twins to the West, uh, you know, Lake Michigan and the Tigers to the East. So it's really like a little, you know, it, it's a little like secret bar thing that not many people know about. And it's kind of just like, this is our thing, a very personal relationship. So, yeah, normally I kind of, I'm that jaded old jerk that rolls his eyes when people talk about special connections to teams, but I really do believe that with the Brewers because they're so reliant on fan support in terms of generating revenue um, and because of the whole atmosphere around going to games, be it tailgating, be it you know, opening day, be it things like on deck, stuff like that, you know, it is kind of unique. Yeah, it is, and I, I can tell you talking to fans, like there are fans out, uh, the Brewers fan base feels like they know the players and there's a connection there with the players. And they maybe never spoken to them. Not, like it just, it, I've been around a lot of different baseball teams and I've been around a lot of different just teams in all sports. And I don't know if I've ever been around a team that there's just the affinity for the individuals that are playing for the team as there are with the fans of the Brewers towards the Brewers players. And I think the thing that, that's cool about On Deck is, I mean, yeah, obviously you've, you've got the, the, the guys there, you know, the, the grown men who have, like, the finders and notebooks getting the same autograph on 40 cards, the autograph hundreds, but fine, what have you. But 
there are so many kids and families there. And I tell you what, like growing up in Milwaukee, um, like to, to be someplace and see an actual brewer up close and personal was like the coolest thing for an eight year old in the world. Um, I still remember running into uh, Billy Joe Robodeau of all people at an old old food store way back in the day. And those are the kind of things that like create interest, lifelong fandom, like having those interactions. So, yeah, it's cool for, like, the season ticket holders and stuff like that to go get your picture with Gellich or Braun or whoever. But, like, you know, for some little kid to meet, you know, the, the 38th player on the 40-player roster, you know, you're, you're nine years old, you don't know who this guy is, or you just met a real live brewer. Like, that's the kind of thing that sticks with you and kind of, you know, sparks that, that lifelong fandom. So you mentioned the, um, you know, the, the 40, 50, 60-year-olds who want autographs and everything. There's there's two, like, groups. Like, if you're just a guy and you, you're a big fan and you've got an autograph selection or you've got a ball, like, that's one thing. But there's the there's that other group of autograph collectors that are very uh, aggressive, we would say, um, towards it. And, and they, they're a little creepy sometimes. I, can, I love telling this story. So when I worked in low A baseball in the Midwest League, I was working for the uh, Royals affiliate, and I would we would roll into a hotel in some random Midwest League city at you know two in the morning, and the the autograph seekers would know what hotel we were going to be at, and they'd be waiting off the bus. Now like I was. Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, and Salvador Perez, and Danny Duffy were all on these teams. So these were all guys who were like top-level prospects, and so I'm sure that had something to do with it. So we would play in Beloit, and Beloit was actually one of the worst cities in the Midwest League when it came to the the very aggressive autograph seekers. And we were playing a four-game series there, and I remember vividly, for some reason, and I think you can agree that I do not look like Danny Duffy, but... There was <laughs> there was one autograph Ooh. seeker who was convinced that I was Danny Duffy. And it's a four-day series, first day, game's over, going out to the bus. And this guy, hey, Danny, hey, Danny, can I get your autograph on a few things? I said, I'm not Danny. Okay. <clears throat> Second day, same guy, same thing happens. I said, I'm not Danny Duffy. Third day. Same exact, like this guy can't figure out that I'm not him. So the fourth day it happens, we're rolling out of town. I said, forget it. And I started signing autographs as Danny Duffy uh, before I got on the bus. My, my only kind of run-in with something like that is, and I know he's a, a regular listener to the podcast and a regular harasser of me on social media. Also a long-time friend that was the best man in his wedding, who, by the way, saved him from choking on a piece of bad steak. Nonetheless, Dan Mike will get a chuckle out of this because uh, I was walking out of the Bradley Center once, and this is years ago, and all of a sudden I hear someone start screaming, Mr. Kukoc, Mr. Kukoc, Mr. Kukoc, and I turn around, I'm like, I'm not Tony Kukoc. He's like, whoa! I'm like, yeah, and like literally for, it was a good 15-year period of my life where Tony Kukoc and I were like dead ringers for each other. So I'm grateful to him now for like going gray and you know all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Tony Kukoc is my like only quasi doppelganger in professional sports. So not sure how I feel about that one, but yeah, I know how it goes. But did you sign any autographs as Tony Kukoc? I thought about it. I thought about it because you know I can I can spell with the proper you know accentuation in the native language, but yeah. Yeah, but it's happened quite a few times. I've gotten mistaken for Tony quite a few times. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, 
what was your take? This this isn't directly Brewers related, but certainly impacts the Brewers. What was your take when you saw that the Colorado Rockies sent Nolan Arenado and fifty million dollars to St. Louis? The, the first thing that comes to mind, and again, so you know that I look at things different. Like I, I don't look at it like you know a fan or blah blah blah. Um, out there is how ticked off was Nolan Arenado about what was happening in Colorado that the, the Rockies not only had to get rid of him, but had to pay $50 million to get rid of him. You know, that, that's, that's mind-boggling to me. Because I remember, you know, I was at spring training when Arenado signed that deal. Um, and it was a rather big thing because that was, I think it was two years ago, maybe three now, where it was, it was that first winter where everything was really weird, nobody was signing, nothing was happening. And Arenado got that big extension. You're thinking, okay, you know what? He's locked in now. This, this, they've got their cornerstone. Um, and, and now how quickly that, that changed. You know, that's, that's stunning to me. That's absolutely stunning to me. And, you know, you have to wonder how much of that is what was happening with the Rockies. But also, you know, the Dodgers pretty much own that division now. The Padres are, are coming right on their heels. You know, the Rockies are kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because you can go out there and spend all the money in the world and you're still going to likely finish third behind those two teams. So it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a maddening thing if you're a Rockies fan, absolutely, because here, here's a guy that you could you know bet the farm on and, and now he's gone. Uh, and, and for the team, you have to pay $50 million to make him go away. It's just it's hard to wrap your head around. Well, it's remarkable, too, that like with Troy Tulowitzki... Uh, they promised him if they were going to move him that he would be part of the conversations, and then he got traded mid-game, if I remember correctly, and had no clue it was going to happen, so they lied to him. Then uh, with, with Arnado, they sit there and say, sign this contract, and we're going to put together a really good team around you, and then they don't. I mean, that's just – I know this isn't Rocky's extra innings, but you look at, at bad situations across, uh, across Major League Baseball, that's, that's a bad spot right now in Colorado. Absolutely, and it makes you appreciate the situation with Christian Yelich agreeing to his deal and also shows the importance of the Brewers continuing uh, to put a team around him and the challenge that comes with that, uh, especially when you're in a market that's limited like Milwaukee. You know, it's great. You've got Yelich now for the foreseeable future, but, you know, it's going to be tough to keep a competitive team around him, which, and I guess this kind of brings us back full circle, uh, you know, you look at the way the Brewers have been doing things the last two years or so, and I get people are angry because they see it as like cost cutting and, 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 and you know, slashing the budget. But you have to be frugal and spend your money wisely if you're going to compete over the long term. Yeah, and that's the thing that I feel like sometimes. Look, the the Brewers don't lie about this. The Brewers are very upfront about what their what their philosophy is. They want to be a team that's contending for the playoffs every single year. And then the hope is that eventually they're going to kind of go on that run at the exact right moment and win a World Series. But that some teams go all in for, for one year. The Brewers, on the other hand, say, let's be a postseason team every year and see eventually if that's going to turn into something. And... Uh, if if it's one or the other, if that's your two choices to go all in for one year and then have four or five years of a rebuild before you can do it again, or 
be competitive and be a postseason club almost every single year and hope one of those years you are even that much better where you can go on a run at the right time, I think that second option is the better option. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, I know, I know exactly what's going to happen. As soon as I say this and as soon as this podcast goes live, I'm just going to get blown up with, oh, you're just carrying water for a now deal with turns, huh? No, I'm not. But, while I stunk at math and had a horrible grade point average, I was pretty good at logic. And I have this thing called common sense. And I look at it and I see the history of what happens when the brewers spend money for the sake of spending money. The examples I use are pretty obvious. Kyle Loesch, Matt Garza, uh, Jeff Supon, who people still to this day complain about. Oh, what a horrible deal. He was a bum. Never mind the fact that if he doesn't go 5-0 and in August 2008. They don't make the playoffs, regardless of QC. I digress. The Brewers have shown they will spend money. They have no problem with that. But they're not going to spend money for the sake of spending money. And Stearns and Anazio are have no interest whatsoever in signing deals that they're going to be stuck with for a long time. And for better or for worse, it's gotten a little bit better. But as long as you're in Milwaukee, chances are you're still going to have to overpay a little bit or give that extra year like we saw in Chip Dupont, like we saw in Garza. It's just Milwaukee isn't the go-to destination. They have a lot of other things that they can sell, but it's just not that place. They're going to spend money when the right opportunity is there. And we saw that. They spent money on Grandal. They spent money on Mustafa. They spent money on Mustafa again. You know, they, they spent money when they got... Kane and Yelich on the same day. They spent money when they signed Yelich to the extension. But if you're going to do that, again, you have to be smart with how you spend the rest of your money. So like last year, and I understand people are still upset about who they signed and who they didn't sign and how it all worked out. But, you know, it's one thing to go out and spend money on a bunch of guys that you think are going to bounce back and only have to worry about it for a year. And if they bomb out, you can just wipe it off the slate and start over again, or be stuck with them for three years and hope, oh man, I really hope this is just an anomaly and they're going to turn around, and when they don't, well, now you're stuck with two, three years of it. So, it's not a matter of not spending money, it's just a matter of not spending money for the sake of spending money and spending food. Yeah, it's, um, and so that let's let's go here then, because we know that salary this year across baseball with the exception of a few teams is going to come down and, and the Brewers are are not immune to that and they're certainly a team that are they're, they're not jumping to spend money this year probably that's more true this year than it is in most years but there's so many guys out there do you think they have like one somewhat big move left in them before we get to the season absolutely and you know as every day gets closer to what we think will be the start of spring training, I get more and more confident in that. And, and, you know, I'll use a rumor, for example, and I'm using this just as an example, so everyone out there is going to get in their little transaction chat rooms or whatever. And they're, oh, I heard this is not a rumor. This is not. But you've heard the Brewers mentioned as interested in Justin Turner, okay? So let's use that as like a hypothetical here. If he doesn't get the kind of deal that he's looking for on the open market, I could very easily see a team like the Brewers, who have done this in the past, swoop in and say, okay, you know what? Um, we'll give you one year at a little higher than the AAV that you were seeking on a long-term deal. You can go out there and pad your numbers in a very hitter-friendly facility um, and then hit the market again. Yeah. 
and which is exactly what they did with Grandal, what they did with Moustaka. So, yeah, I think I still think the Brewers have a deal left in them. I don't think Mark Ottenazio called David Stern and said, you know what, all you're allowed to do this year is sign a bunch of guys to minor league deals and claim a few guys off waivers, and we're just going to ride or die with Kane and Yelich. No way. I, I, Mark wants to win. Um, he's willing to pay for it, but you know, I, I, I think there's a deal coming. What it is, I don't know. When it's coming, I don't know. Uh, but I think as every day gets closer without some kind of a deal, not just with the Brewers, but overall in baseball, I think the chances are better of the Brewers finding a piece they need for right now. might not be a long-term solution, but it'll be something that they need for right this moment. Yeah, I 100% agree. I expect them to get either on a one-year deal or maybe a, some sort of trade on an expiring contract, something like that where they bring in somebody who's going to be inserted into the everyday lineup, whether it's at third or at first, or if they do something even more creative, which they have uh, certainly been known to do. I feel like they still do have that one more move before all is said and done. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I know we've talked about it in the past, but it's hard to pinpoint a move that, that Sturz has made that has been a complete flop and you know, burn the franchise down the road. Yeah. You could point to the Jonathan Scope trade. That was that trade did not work out in, in any stretch of the imagination. It was a bad it was a bad result. But you look at who was given up and, and you know, I wish this is what I wish I had like, you know, Brewerfan.net or somebody around because they, they know this off the top of my head. I think most of the guys that were in that trade that got sent away were rule five eligible a pretty good chance that you were going to lose them anyway. Um, it was a risk. It was a gamble. It didn't pay off, but it didn't hurt him the next year because he was off the books. Yeah, you lose the prospects. You might have lost some of them anyway. Okay, fine. Uh, you look at last year, obviously Justin Smoke did not turn out. Uh, uh, I can't think of it. Brock Holt did not turn out. You know, the, the, not bad findings. But you understand, if you're smart enough to pay attention, you understand what the intent was and what the objective was and what the, you know, hope result was, um, it did work out. I won't call them bad findings because you didn't have to eat but a half season of pro-rated pay. You know, they weren't on the hook for it this year. So I have yet to find a move that David Stern has made that has burned the Brewers for the long term. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And there's going to be people who hear what you just said and are going to immediately jump on some of those guys and say, "Well, those moves didn't work." And from it's a two kind of a two prong deal. Last year, the off season was not a good off season for the Brewers. Last year, uh, other than the 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 Yelich extension, and then that clearly trumps everything else that happened. But in terms of bringing players into the organization, it didn't work. Justin Smoke didn't work. Brock Holt didn't work. Uh, Logan Morrison didn't work. Eric Sogard didn't work. There's there was a lot more that didn't work than did work. So we're we're not giving. David Stern's a free pass for that, but to your point, and it's a it's a really important point, those guys were not signed to multi-year deals, and in fact, they even protected themselves by giving club options, so if those guys would have worked, they would have had an opportunity to bring them back for a second year. They didn't work. Absolutely. You can't have a lot, you can't have a repeat of that over and over and over. If the Brewers every year have off-seasons that look exactly like last year's off-season, that becomes an issue. 
but last year was last year, and I think you're right. Even yeah, the the first guy that they ever signed that I, that didn't work, and it was that same sort of situation, if I remember correctly, it was like Naftali Feliz, and they ended up letting him go mid season. But it was again another one of those one year deals where it doesn't have the long term you know, impact. I was actually looking that up the other day, and of course now because you know I have the attention span of an ant, I I I think they 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 bailed on him. Fairly quickly in the year two, I want to say it might have. It was probably April already, or actually May already, when they when they when they parted ways with him. I thought that was a pretty short leash, uh, but yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, uh, sometimes the fact that that Mark's willing to eat those contracts too is is something that stands out. You know, if he's, if he's willing to cut the bait, you know, that's money. That's dead money. Yeah, you know, that's money that's spent. It's gone because he's hanging the rest of the year. So. Yeah, it's definitely not a job that I would want. I don't want to be the GM of a team and have to work these out because you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Yep, you are. I And I've said this before. I feel like last year's offseason was partially dictated by the fact that they wanted to be very conservative knowing they had a chance to lock Yelich up long-term. I'll, I'll always and stand again, by that. that I, I, I'll agree to that theory to an extent. I think the other thing, too, was there weren't – like you look back at the free agent market last year, I don't have the list in front of me right now, but who was really out there that would have fit the Brewers' need that would have been the difference maker? I mean, and, and to kind of jump from that, you look at, at, at the, the troubles the Brewers had offensively last year. How different is that team, and what's the end result if Christian Yelich, you know, gets to replacement level if Lorenzo Cain doesn't opt out? How much does that change the outcome of that season? I don't think they finish twenty nine and thirty one if they have Kane on the roster and Yelich gets up to, to the north. It, you know, I think and you I could think still have Yelich doing well. Yelich yeah. could still have the season he had, and just having Kane on the roster would have been a, a major difference. Absolutely, and, and I think if those two, if the situation, and again, what if you know don't do anything for you, but you look back at that and say, okay, in this kind of goes in that how, how do you evaluate a 60-game season when one of the best players on the planet is just struggling mightily because of circumstances, uh, when you're missing the heart and soul of your team, you know, that has an effect all the way down the lineup. That changes things. You know, I, I was looking at some numbers the other day at the Brewers' offense that where it ranked, and it was you know, just abysmal you know, across the board in just about every category. They were at or near the bottom. Um, and then with runners in scoring position, you know, the, the numbers were a little bit better, but not great. And, and again, that's where you miss your Christian Yellis. That's where you miss a guy like Lorenzo Kane, who he might not be the guy that cashes in, but he knows how to extend it at that, make a picture work. So the guy behind him, who more often than not has been Christian Yellis, can be the one to do the punishing. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to say last year was, you know, just a free pass, like we said. Although I did make the reference to Bobby Ewing on Dallas saying this year doesn't count, you know it, it's hard to look at last year uh, in, in anything that's not a jaded way because there were just so many factors and so many weird things that that, that got thrown into it that they were behind the eight ball to start with. I think if it would have been a normal year, I think Stern's approach would have had better results. I absolutely believe that, and I think they would have had money to make a move to bolster that group at the deadline. Um, you know, I pointed this a million times. You know, the Brewers don't have a lot of prospects, uh, and I hear I hear fans complain about that all the time. Um, what they did have was financial flexibility, so 
if you got a veteran on a really bad team who's absolutely raking but has a ton of money left in his contract for that season, the Brewers would have been in a position to eat the rest of that deal at that bat without having to give up top-level prospects. You talk about last year, and it was it was horrible offensive numbers. They said it's the worst hitting season in the history of the organization. But Andrew, they were second, which is, which is saying something. Because again, you've only been here a couple of years. Man, I was here for some brutal, brutal seasons. So to throw that phrase out there, if you've been around the team, you know it's not taken lightly. But here's no. But here's why you throw it out. They were second in the National League Central in hitting. They had the worst right. hitting season ever in the franchise's history, yet they were second in the NL Central in hitting. Yep. It's and again, cr- people will roll their eyes and they'll they'll dismiss it, but you cannot underestimate or undersell how big of a sting it was for players, for, for, for hitters, to not have access to video. Like, that is just, that was a brutal, that was a tough blow. Um because that's how you make your adjustments for, from at bat to at bat. That's how you make your adjustments from day to day. Having minimal access to facilities, minimal access to video. You know, it doesn't it doesn't atone for everything that happened. It doesn't excuse it because you still expect better out of Christian Yelich. But that definitely played a role. I think the the pause and then starting up spring training again and all the uncertainty. There's so much that went into it that has nothing to do with actual baseball. That it's just it's so hard to wrap your head and evaluate anything that happened last week. All right, last thing for you before I get you out of here. And um, I just, you had a Twitter thread, and so many people were impacted, uh, both from a per, per, like a personal standpoint or just a, a watching and enjoying standpoint. I mean, Hank Aaron impacted so many people, and I encourage people to go back on your Twitter and find the thread if they want to find it. But I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of share the story because um, you, you you shared a, a fairly long Twitter thread um, about Hank Aaron and it's uh, how he impacted uh, your relationship with your father. And I just I thought it was an incredible story. And I hope you don't mind. Maybe I'm being selfish here, but I wanted to use this podcast as a platform for you to uh, share that story again because I want as many people as possible to hear it. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, that was a uh, what a blow for baseball and what a blow for for our country. Like Hank Aaron was just he's Hank Aaron. Like if you grew up liking baseball, doesn't matter how old you are, when you were born, you, you knew the name Hank Aaron. Um, and my knowledge of Hank Aaron was kind of different from most. People. Like I knew, obviously, being a baseball fan growing up, that he was like the home run king. He was like the greatest. Seven fifty five. You know it off the top of your head when you're eight years old. Um, so growing up, you know, the hot team was the Atlanta Braves. And, uh, you know, told my dad one day I wanted Atlanta Braves hat. He just was absolutely livid, just completely against it. Like, absolutely not. He used language that I don't think his Marine Corps drill sergeant would have used, but whatever. Um, didn't understand the reaction to it um, and ended up getting, and I had my timing wrong this week, but that was my birthday. It was actually Christmas. Um, he got me. Milwaukee Braves hat, and I said, well, what the hell is this? And the other part of the present was a great book on the history of the Milwaukee Braves by Bob Beagie, a Milwaukee guy, uh, find it, phenomenal book. Um, I read the book in like a weekend. I suddenly, here I was, 12 years old, like the biggest Milwaukee Braves fan ever, um, and I was just blown away to find out that Hank Aaron, you know, the greatest player ever, was a Milwaukee guy. Like, it was just, you know, mind-boggling to me. Uh, 
so you fast forward to adulthood. Um, you know, here I am. I'm a sports writer. I've been doing this a long time. You kind of be your typical jaded sports writer. I don't really get impressed or blown away. My day off, I get called in to go cover this event that Hank Aaron is speaking at. Um, and my father and I had had a falling out a little before this, and we hadn't talked for a while, hadn't caught up in a while, whatever. Um, I found out, you know, sometime either that day or a couple of days before that he was, you know, he had cancer. Um, I didn't know about it because, again, we weren't speaking. And I was a little shaken up by it. And, uh, you know, I've never in my entire number one rule is, is like, you don't ask for autographs. Right. It's just absolutely no for Bolton, whatever. Um, so I'm at the St. Aaron thing, and I called my dad to rub it in on the way. He didn't answer. Found out later he was a chemo. Uh, and while I was sitting there finishing up, people were getting their picture with Hank. And, uh, you know, I don't know what transpired is what you know when time freezes Zach Morris and you have like a 45 minute conversation in your head that really only lasts about five seconds mm-hmm. I had one of those moments decided the hell with it I'm just going to go ask him for a picture um, I say hey, you know Mr. Aaron I, I apologize for a little you know unprofessional but my dad made me a huge fan of the Milwaukee Braves made me appreciate you not only what you did as a player but my father was also he made it clear I had to learn and I thank him for that. I had to learn about what Jackie went through, what Hank went through, what you know, players of color went through just to, to get where they are. Um, and I explained that to him, and he was very touched by it. He said, absolutely. Um, and I mentioned his dad's getting treatment for cancer. And um, as we leaned in for the picture, he kind of grabbed me by the arm and said, hey, don't worry. He's going to be okay. He's in my prayers. And, like, I, I don't know how I didn't lose it right there. Like, I don't, to this day, I don't know how. I think I was just in shock that this just happened. Um, but I, I, you know, I sent my dad the picture and, you know, he was, uh, he was at chemo when he got it and just, we started talking again. Um, you know, our relationship is always complicated, but that was kind of the moment where we started to have a relationship again. And, you know, the end was rough. Um, I spent the last couple of days with him in the hospital, um, as he was nearing the end and, you know, I like to joke with Craig Council because my dad died at the end of like a horrible four-hour Friday night game. I'm like, you know, my dad said that uh, this is his last game. He's going to be kicked. But, you know, one of our last conversations was, you know, how proud he was to see that picture of me with Henry Aaron. He's like, you know, you've, had a, you've done well in your career, and I'm glad that you learned this and glad the appreciation. But, you know, I'm kind of rambling over, and I think I ended up making this longer than the story on Twitter. But, That's okay. you know, Hank Aaron told me that he was keeping my dad in his prayers, and because of that picture, my dad and I, you know, spent our last couple of years together not at each other's throats, and you know, I'm forever thankful for that moment. Like, it was, it was, it means the world to me. So, Hank Aaron is just, he is a great human being. You know, forget baseball, he's just an incredible human being. Yeah, um, I, I never met him, and he would make his way into Milwaukee, clearly, on, on occasion, and the, you know, it, he's gone now, and I'm thinking to myself, why didn't I ever, like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it, it, yeah, I, I, we, we spent a lot of time last week talking about it, and I think we're going to be talking about it for a while. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, I, I'll tell you this, and, and I said this on last week's podcast, but I'll say it to you, something that I didn't realize, I've been in... I've been here for five, six years in, in Wisconsin. And before I was here, I always associated him with Atlanta. 
and I, I I did not realize until I got here how the city of Milwaukee and the state of Wisconsin really claimed him as as their own, and it's uh it's it was cool for me to kind of understand that part of him because before I ever was here it was Atlanta 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 and I was able to learn over the years that I've been here the impact that he had on this city as well absolutely and, you know he his, his he played obviously in the Negro American League I think it was or was the Negro National League I, I apologize I'm getting it wrong I know he started Indianapolis the Braves signed him uh his first minor league season was in Eau Claire playing for the Eau Claire Bears and there's a great great documentary um from a, a good friend of uh, Josh Adams who uh, used to run camera for Fox. It's called Henry Aaron Summer up north. It's just a phenomenal video. And, and there's a statue to Hank Aaron outside of Carson Park in Eau Claire. But, yeah, he, he never had anything ill to say about Wisconsin, but he felt very welcome here. And, you know, he, he, made, he made baseball Milwaukee not once but twice because he obviously was, you know, a centerpiece of those great Braves teams that had, you know, Warren Spahn and Lou Burdett and, and Eddie Matthews. But then to come back to Milwaukee in 1975 um, for a Brewers team that, you know, was fledgling. They, they, they were not doing well. Um, to come back and give that franchise some credibility and finish out his career in Milwaukee is just, just a phenomenal human being. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's the only way to sum it up. Hank Aaron was just an incredible human being. Yeah, I read where he said he always appreciated the way he was treated here, and it started, as you mentioned, uh, in Eau Claire, and – that's that's notable because at that point in time where we were at as a country, uh, not that not that race relations are great now, but that was that was a really tough time um, to 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 be an African American. I think it's I think it's cool that his thoughts of Wisconsin start with the fact that he always felt like he was treated uh, properly here. And that's not to say that he didn't have some bad experiences here. And, and I, I've read I've read many stories. I, I know. I know it wasn't always, you know, sunshine and rainbows, but you know he was treated well here. Um, he spoke of it many times. Uh, every documentary that I watched last weekend, I mean, all you heard was great things out of his mouth about Milwaukee, um, and, and that's not something. So yeah. yeah, he made he made this a baseball city not once but twice. Um, he made our country a better place. He made the game a better place, and he made he made people better. So you know, rest in peace, Henry Aaron. There there will never be another like it. Andrew Wagner joining us, and for a long, we I kept you longer than I probably uh, should have, but I, I appreciate taking time. Encourage everybody to, of course, read you uh, in the Wisconsin State Journal. Follow you on Twitter at uh, by Andrew Wagner. Thank you so much for taking this time, and look forward to uh, talking to you again real soon. Anytime, Matt. Thanks. Andrew Wagner joining us here on Brewers Externings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, and that is just about going to do it for uh, this week's edition. My appreciation to Andrew for uh, joining us. My appreciation to you for uh, being tuned in. And when we do this next week, I think we're going to know a little bit more uh, at least about if the season might be delayed or spring training's delayed, anything like that as we record this on Sunday night. There's a lot of things that are up in the air, and I would guess by the time we get to it next week, there's going to be a lot more information about uh, about what that's going to uh, end up looking like. All right, so that's going to do it. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Look forward to talking to you again real soon for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. 
For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.